0: This episode of Telehel is sponsored by Solving the Price is Right. An in-depth exploration of the underlying probability theory of the popular television program that explores how biases and behavioral pitfalls limit our ability to successfully apply logic and math both on and off the show pick up the book at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold, in hard copy or digital formats. And since it's officially the holiday season now, it makes a great stocking stuffer. Telehell is also sponsored by Dave's Archives. At Dave's Archives, he personally transfers archives and preserves classic commercials from the 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s and shares them with you. Don't forget about his Friday night live stream on, well, guess when? Go to Dave's Archives Dot com. By RetroCirk. Take a not so silent journey through Millennial and Gen X nostalgia with RetroCirk, hosted by the off-duty mind players. Look for them on YouTube under RetroCirk, spelt with a Q at the end. RetroCirk, where the Q is not quiet, and by the very generous benefactors who grace us on our Patreon at patreon.com/slash podcast, including Rhonda Farrell, Rick Colacki Jr., Chris Mashaud. Man Mojack Meredith Morrissey Justin Moses Rabbite Spare Parts and Neil Weinstein Thank you I've said it before and I'll say it again For over 50 years and counting, or nearly 70 years if you choose to count the Bill Cullen era, The Price is Right remains the place to be in order to win big money and fabulous prizes, all while playing a seemingly endless carnival of pricing games that test a person's shopping skills, logical intuition, and calm under pressure. And whether it be the late and legendary Bob Barker or the generous Drew Carey at the helm, and before you come at me with a pitch Forks, let's also not forget about Dennis James, Tom Kennedy, or Doug Davidson in syndication, as well as the equally legendary voices of Johnny Olson, Rod Roddy, Rich Fields, or even today's George Gray, imploring would-be winners to... Come on down! Come
1: on down! Come on down! Come on down!
0: The Price is Right remains one of the best ways to spend an hour of your day, no matter how good or how bad that day might be going for you. With all due respect to the hosts and the announcers, some would argue that the real stars of the show are the nearly 80 pricing games in rotation today and the contestants that get to play them. You're
1: going to play Plinko for a chance to win up to 100,000. He has <laughs> won the boat. 41,800. It is a five. Actual
2: retail price.
0: But while there are some games that people will have seared into their memory forever and ever and ever, there have been other games that the show put on during its 50 plus year run on the air. That some people would rather have lobotomized from their memory. There is one number missing, you see? Rather, I should say there is one number
2: that is not completed 9,220. What? What should that digit be? Take that brush, step over there, and complete that price correctly,
0: and you win the piano. The thing is, though, I know how fervent the fan base of this show can be. I'm not kidding, people are willing to walk on broken glass to defend even the most flawed of games. And with that mentality in the back of my mind, we're gonna do something a little different today. Yes, we are gonna be talking about some of the lesser games that have ever graced the Bob Barker's studio, but as a counterpoint to our selections, we're also gonna go over the games on a logistical standpoint. To see if, despite their flaws, there may have been a way or two to make the games a little more enjoyable. And to do that, and also to justify my use of the word we today, I'm gonna need to do something that I've always wanted to do. So, if you'll indulge me for a second. Justin Bergner, come on down. You're the next guest to visit the Underworld.
1: Uh, uh, what the,
0: what, what the hell is this? That's for our announcer to tell you. Hit it, Mikey.
2: And now, Major look. this is telehel.
1: That... Uh. That answered nothing.
0: Oh, very well. Let me fill you in on a couple of gaps. First, my name is not important. What is important is that you, Justin Bergner, recently wrote a book involving mathematical applications involving the pricing games on The Price
1: is Right. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Solving The Price is Right uses math and game theory to identify winning strategies across the show evaluates contestant performance biases and shortcomings, and draws real-world analogies. Good, because I'm going to need your expertise to help me get through this list
0: today. Now, your book may talk about the current rotation of pricing games, but we kinda have this rule about discussing things that are either recently or actively on the air, in that we don't talk about current or recent things. This is a list of pricing games that have pretty much hit the scrapyard of Television City in Hollywood, along with all the other stuff that they got rid of during their renovations as a press time. Pricing games that never should have left the drawing board or have even been played one time. Although in some cases, some of these games were lucky to have been played twice at all. And where do I come in? Well, as a counterpoint, and in the spirit of your book, once I'm done talking about how poorly executed some of these games were, I want you to do your best to tell the ladies and gentle demons out there how you would have improved the gameplay and to see if the games could have been salvaged in any way, shape, or form. And what if I can't do that, or I choose not to? Well, let me put this in terms you can understand. Some contestants not appearing on stage will be sentenced to an eternity of hard labor in the greed circle, where they will write out by hand, in triplicate, all of the tax forms that contestants need to fill out if they ever win a prize on any game show. Plus, a year's supply of Lee Press-On-Nails and rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. And I thought writing a book was hard work. Okay, I'll do it if it means getting out of here. Very well. Take a seat in our contestants' row while I explain the rules of this list to our listeners. Our major rule for this list is that we will only be discussing retired pricing games. As we said, to talk about anything that's currently on the air or even recently taken off the show will be a violation of our six things that we will not review. The other slightly minor rules is that we will not be talking about beloved or well-liked or cult- classic games regardless of why the show's producers wound up getting rid of them because a lot of those games were popular to some people. Also, games have been retired due to other outside factors whether it be constant mechanical failures redundancies in that a similar game already existed or in rare cases the game was retired just because, outlived its usefulness, took too long to play or for no verifiable reason otherwise, as long as there's even a hint of negativity from any outside consensus stating that the game was, air quotes, bad in any way will put it in consideration. We're also not going to include games that involve any degree of physicality, such as the beloved skee-ball game Superball or the short-lived 1984 athletic pricing game On the Nose. And as far as our nine circles go, as much as I love the prizes right, people go on all game shows for a number of reasons. Chief of which is to attempt to win valuable cash and prizes, so it's only natural for contestants to feel just a little greedy. And depending on how many prizes they can win, a little gluttonous. And all they would have to do is play a game correctly in order to win them. Losing that game may result in a bit of disappointment, but in rare cases, they also get mad if they win. In extremely rare cases, they can even get wrathful. But despite all of that, The Price is Right is still a place where fun can be had by all, even if some of these games were anything but. With that said, here is the first item up for bids in Telehell. Number
2: eight.
0: I put this first one at the bottom of the list because of its longevity. Out of all the games that we're gonna be talking about, this one somehow lasted the longest at a run of 13 years. You're going to play Joker. And of course, the object of the game is to get,
2: get rid, rid of the Joker. You got that right. I know how to
1: play. You know how to I play. I know how to play. Let's, let's play.
0: Let's play. Sometimes it's best to keep things simple. But the pricing game called Joker may have been a little too simple. In fact, it may have been the most boring game the Price is Right ever had next to Magic Number. But I'm going to give that one a pass because, truth be told, I always like that game's sound effects. But I digress. The rules for Joker are straightforward. You're presented with five playing cards. Four of them are your standard ace through king. One of them is the Joker. The object is to eliminate the Joker by figuring out the prices of four small items one at a time, which unfortunately exploits a major hole in the game, which may have contributed to its eventual demise that even if you play the game perfectly and eliminate four out of five cards, there's still the possibility that the Joker was not eliminated thus making five minutes of network TV airplay entirely pointless if that were to happen
2: is it here? <laughs> left the
1: Joker up there at number two
0: that and for the sake of this being an audio program, the game is probably more exciting to look at than a still life painting. Granted, the colors are bright, but compared to other games that have at least one flashing light or two, Joker looks like a viable alternative to Unisom any day of the week. Mom
2: said to get rid of four, and four was the Joker! He wins! He's
0: gonna go kiss mom! Okay, Justin, it's time for you to earn your keep. What would you do to
1: improve the Joker game, if at all? I don't think a lack of perfect play should be a deal breaker. You know, there are numerous games where perfect play doesn't win you the main prize or much of anything on the prices right, such as Rat Race, Spelling Bee, and, and other games. Luck is always part of a pricing game, but perhaps since this is an easier game with less valuable prizes, the showrunners felt bad about a contestant winning all four card picks and potentially losing and coming away with nothing. But truth be told, all three of these games, Joker, Bonus Game, and Shell Game, were played quite infrequently. Joker was only played three to five times a season in the years before it was retired. It sort of faded into Oblivion, whereas Bonus Game and Shell Game continue to get played about five to ten times a season, making them among the least played, but still surviving games. So I'm not sure there's anything to change here, just a somewhat uninspiring setup. Number 7.
0: The very first pricing game ever played on the Price is Right is the beloved Any Number, a game that is still played to this very day. This is a game that is played for a chance to win a car or a small three digit prize, or, if you're unlucky, the money that makes up the dreaded piggy bank. As the show was nearing its 25th year on the air, and the quest to keep things fresh was a never-ending journey for the show, The Powers That Be, at the price is right, decided to come up with a game that would be any number's spiritual sibling. This game would also be played with a car and a three-digit prize, except this time, Both prizes would be up for grabs and would also benefit from having the numbers in their prices repeat, unlike any number, in which each number could only be used once. Now all that was left to do was to make the gameplay different, but interesting. The gameplay was different alright, but it was also headache-inducing.
2: And here, ladies and gentlemen, is a brand new game called
0: Split Decision. The object of split decision, like many of the games on the show, was simple. From a line of eight numbers, the contestant had to pull down three of them that he thought was the price of the small prize, leaving the remaining five numbers as the price of the car. To make things a little more challenging, this was done against the clock, 20 seconds to be exact. A clock that had to be stopped by pushing a button once the price was in place. Get it right, win both prizes. Get it wrong, Keep trying until you get it right or until time's up. At the risk of triggering our guilty pleasure rule, as much as I like the timed games on the show, like you know, the race game, bonkers, switcheroo, and even newer games like Hot Seat and Time is Money, something about Split Decision felt a little too chaotic. Go! Get those three numbers $515
2: now that's fine wait no that's all right now wait step back here you have 16 seconds left you believe that the price of the luggage is 515 and that leaves a price up here of twelve thousand nine hundred nine for the car is that right no it is not now when i say go if you wish you can push two of those up or one of them up get the other one down and one you believe should be down press the button again you understand
0: And the producers temporarily agreed. So instead of a 20 second timer, which not for nothing would also experience a few instances of malfunctioning, it was thrown out in favor of a three chances rule. Three attempts to get the matching prices, which unsurprisingly resulted in even more losses. So back came the 20 second timer and inevitably so did the chaos.
2: What is the penalty for destroying the prop? How much are these? You win it. Whatever they are, he has, uh, I am lucky to have survived this myself. You are the most destructive contestant I have.
0: The game limped along from 1995 to 1996, until parts of its existence scattered to other future pricing games, particularly ones involving races against the clock and pushing a button to see if you're right, i.e., some of the games I already mentioned. What do
1: you think, Justin? Time games on the show are are tricky. Time adds a degree of pressure and it ensures the game doesn't go on for too long, but it can also frazzle a number of contestants, essentially taking them out of contention, which is no fun for the contestant or for the fans. Some contestants go too fast, they make foolish selections, or they try the same selection twice. The win rate for split decision during its 34 times played was actually a respectable 50%, better than time is money, which is one less than one third of the time, but the combination of the timer, the pricing exercise, and moving the numbers down, often with a lateral spatial gap, made for too much action. And the three-chances phase of the game was either too easy or too hard, depending upon where the three-digit prize likely began on the fourth or fifth of the eight digits, which sort of determined how many possible choices there were. I might have tried to improve the game by allowing the contestant to make his timed three-digit selections by tapping the three numbers so that they lit up, to the extent such a mechanism was even workable at the time, circa 1995, Split Decision wasn't really a bad or boring game, just a bit too rough around the edges. Yeah, I mean, uh, any number certainly has, you know, lived on as one of the, you know, most played and sort of premier games on the show. But Split Decision wasn't as lucky. Mm-hmm. Light up the
2: numbers in the price of the car, will you please? It was five oh nine, 0 was what we had down there.
0: Number six. One of the cardinal rules of any game show is that it should always manage to be the right mix between easy, fun, but also challenging. Some would even argue that if you can pull off an elevator pitch of some kind within 30 seconds, you'll have someone's attention. This game from 2003 sounds simple, and it does have its fans. But I wouldn't exactly go calling this game beloved. It's called On The Spot, not to be confused with On The Nose from 1984. And here now is the great Bob Barker explaining the rules. There are three paths off the
2: spot, pink, yellow, and blue. On each, there are three steps. You see the prices on the steps? Mm -hmm. If you can tell me what prize goes with each price on that pink path, you can win your way off, or you can choose the yellow path or the blue path. And then you have to tell me the price of the three prizes on that path.
0: A simple guessing game. Which prize matched the price? And how many of the prizes you would match would get you off the spot? Or at least it would've been a lot more simple if it weren't for a few design flaws made during the game's initial playings. For instance, the game board showed various prices, but for some reason, they showed the prices from two perspectives. The point of view from the contestant playing the game and also the point of view of the viewers watching, which, Okay, I guess that makes some kind of sense if viewers wanted to play along with the game. However, and Justin, please correct me if I'm wrong here, some of the number displays would wind up strobogrammatic. In one particular instance, there was a price tag of $68 for one item, but the opposite side of the circle showed that the price was $89, thus causing confusion among those who played the game. At least in that particular instance, anyway. This problem would quickly be remedied in a later playing by having just a single price show up on the game board space, and then the actual price from the contestants POV in a smaller, less distracting print facing them. Unfortunately, that change didn't really do the game any favors. Contestants still had to remember which prices fit what prize, and if they were incorrect at any time, they had to keep that information in the back of their minds. All of which resulted in a game that was won 11 times and lost 15. And since nobody wanted to see anybody lose at something confusing, the game was quietly shelved in 2004. Now, you can choose another
2: path, and you already know what is $12, so here's $12 on the blue path if you want to go the blue path. I can do that and jump ahead? No, you can't jump ahead. You have to tell me the fit. This this one thinks, you know. She doesn't just stand
1: here. She's thinking every moment. Unlike Split Decision, the game was not chaotic, but it took a long time to explain and play and with a confusing board. I think the underlying structure was acceptable and you know one could think about how to reorganize it. So why not just have the six prices and you have to match three of those prices up with three of the six prizes and do so before you air three times. And then upon making an error, you can either try again or move on to another price, but you have to get three right before making three errors. This is a lot easier to explain, a lot easier to play, and less time consuming. Sort of a similar type of matching exercise as brand game and it's in the bag, but you're matching small prizes rather than grocery prizes. Is the knife sharpener $50? No.
2: So it's all over. We've used up all three packs. Number 5.
0: The early years of the Price is Right, as is the case with the early years of many long-running TV shows, were viewed as a chance to test the waters to see what worked and what didn't. When the show began in 1972, there were only five pricing games in rotation, long-time staples like Any Number, Bonus Game, Grocery Game, Double Prices, and One Right Price and then they started to add more games to the mix just to keep people from tuning out. One of them was this little oddity from 1973 called, mystery price we call this game the mystery price
2: game and the price of that sewing machine is the mystery price now we have that concealed right back here to win everything in that prize package worth more than a thousand dollars you must build up enough credit in this bank to cover that mystery
0: price three prizes are presented as part of a package one of those three prizes is a key to the game because that one contains the mystery price a player is then presented with four small items to bid on. Their bid must be lower than the actual retail price in order to win that small item and to place the amount of money that they bid on into a bank, which, if it's enough money, can be used to buy the prize with a mystery price, win big prizes, and...
2: Oh so, no, I've gone cross-eyed.
0: I mean, I've played games of mouse trap that were less convoluted than this. And it's any wonder why this game only lasted a year on the show. Now, that was a good
2: safe bid. You've won the slacks, and now you get the additional credit up here in the bank. You now have a total of $80. We have one more prize in our mystery price game.
0: I mean, surely there has to be a way to make this game a lot less complicated,
1: right? I would think so. I mean, this was a really, really cool game structure in my eyes because it had similarities to contestants' row bidding. If you place a bid for the small item that is too low, you get to bank the money to buy the item at its mystery price, but not much money. While if you place an aggressive bid for the small item, you may either get a lot of money in the bank or zero money in the bank. But the game was too confusing, like many of the games we are discussing today. So, why not simplify it? Simply tell the in the value of the prize in question and let him or her then go about trying to bid on the four items to rank up dollars to buy that item. This might have made the game a touch easier, but also more manageable, and the show could have always used lower priced items if they felt the game was too easy or being won too frequently. A revamped mystery price could have had scoring similarities to the Fast Money Round on Family Feud, which most people love, as well as to Pocket Change, a game that I... To be honest, as a math guy, I don't even know if I could have processed in short order how to best play Mystery Price under its initial rules way too much uncertainty I play.
2: If the mystery price is $80 or less, you'll have enough credit to cover the mystery price and you'll win 1,000, in fact, more than $1,000 worth of prizes. You'll win the stereo, you'll win the game board and you're the game table and you'll win the sewing machine. Now, what's the mystery price? It is $135. Too
0: bad, Lisa, but it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And on that note, we've reached the halfway point in our look at dumb pricing games. It's time to
1: spin the big wheel! Wait, you have a big wheel in hell? Are are you about to
0: torture me? Calm down, I never torture guests. On purpose anyway. No, no, it's it's a a mock-up of the Showcase Showdown wheel. Everything's listed from five cents to a dollar, as it usually is. Try to get a dollar in one spin or a combination of two spins, and I'll let you plug your book free of charge for 60 seconds. What happens if I go over a dollar? If you go over, you'll need to visit the Gluttony Circle, where you will be a referee for a competitive eating competition between two sumo wrestlers who accidentally sat on several dozen bunny rabbits in their lifetimes. Now, be sure the wheel goes all the way around, or it doesn't count, and we will get to torture you with clip after clip of people who don't know how to play the check game. And trust me, that can last for hours. So come on, give it a good hard spin. Okay,
1: the things I do for publicity.
0: And the wheel comes to a stop on a dollar! That means you've got 60 seconds to plug your book, Solving the Price is Right. But before you get to do that, we've got our own business to take care of. Stay tuned for more pricing games and the fabulous showcases, which are coming up on the second half of an episode of Telehell that picks apart the prices right. After the break.
2: Hi, I'm Bob Barker, and this is my friend Benny. Now we have a little favor to ask of you. Before you buy any cosmetics, personal care, or household products, please be sure that it has not been tested on animals. Every year, millions of animals have everything from floor cleaner to shampoo dripped into their eyes and poured down their throats in cruel, unnecessary experiments. The animals suffer intensely. Some even go blind. The price is never right on products tested on animals. Please visit PETA.org for a list of cruelty-free companies. Benny here, and I will sure thank you. This week on Telehealth's premium content of the Damned. <laughs> Star-spangled night, my love You can rest your head on my shoulder While by the dawn's early light, my love <sighs> The only way to listen to Telehel's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. And now back to
0: this week's torture so now as promised our guest today justin bergner is going to have 60 seconds to talk about his book the full title of which is and i quote solving the price is right how mathematics can improve your decisions on and off the set of america's celebrated game show
1: take it away justin so what's more insane than today's podcast? Well, perhaps spending four years of your life analyzing the math, contestant performance, and contested shortcomings on the world's longest running game show, and writing a three hundred page book on it. Once you read Solving the Price is Right, you will begin watching the show as a sophisticated player, an analytical demigod. You will know what one should do in contestants throughout bidding and on the pricing games. You will be able to exalt in your superior status as you observe, or perhaps even yell at the mortal contestants on the team. TV screen, messing up on the show. And off the show, you will be smarter, shrewder, and wiser. But contestants' shortcomings on The Price is Right are hardly unique to the show. They show up every day in the real world, including in business and personal finance, when we let anxiety trunk rationality, and when we do more than is needed to accomplish the task at hand and it backfires. So support this somewhat insane author make yourself smarter and saner in the process. Pick up a copy of Solving the Price is Right today, online, or at your local bookstore. Ah. (laughs) All right, just under the
0: buzzer. Very good there. And let's not forget that it makes a great stocking stuffer for the holidays. This is our Thanksgiving episode after all. And on that note, let's continue. Number four. As long as we're here to talk about a book that involves mathematics to win pricing games, I'm afraid we need to use math. We might as well discuss a game that actually applies some math in order to win. Not that some games don't already do so, but this game has actual math in its title. Now,
2: Lisa, I am going to explain this very carefully, and I want you to play it very carefully and win Adam Up. And you can take that car
0: home, and you don't even have to ride home with that grandson. <laughs> Not to be confused with the game Do the Map that's on the air currently, Adam Up is one of a handful of games where actual dare I say, math is required for you to win. As Bob would explain... I'm going to tell you, first of all, of course,
2: there are four numbers in the price of the car. Then I want you to understand that the four numbers total 18 when you add them up. Now, I am going to allow you to make one mistake and stay in the game, but if you make two mistakes, you lose the game. Also, I will tell you any one of the four numbers in the price of the car. What I want you to do to win the game is to Tell us what the four numbers are, but you don't have to have them in
0: order, don't worry about that. In other words, just because some combination of numbers add up to the total that you're looking for doesn't mean that they're the right combination. And that, I feel, may be this game's fatal flaw that, and you're only given one mistake to make in this game. Nevertheless, I would still put this game on the list because even though this game was a little more challenging compared to some of the other games down the list, the challenges in most games at least seems a little more rewarding than frustrating. On the plus side, the big scoreboard that they used for this game was later recycled into the long running fan favorite game, Pathfinder.
1: What do I got? How many I got to add up?
0: Well, you, you
2: have three numbers and they add up to 18, but if you think you know the first number, it might be the best way to approach it. You know, it's not seven. Now, what do you think? It might eight? Eight? Is, is there an eight?
0: Oh, Lisa, I'm so sorry. I wanted you to win that car. So, Justin, this probably being the most math-heavy of the pricing games that failed. Do you feel that this game may have been misunderstood by those who played it, or was there anything that could have been done to, if you pardon the pun,
1: improve the sum of its parts? Wow, some of the parts sounds like something related to my day job of valuing public companies, but but I digress, this game was flawed in many ways. So four numbers in a car adding up to 20, there is really not enough time for even a math guy to think about all the permutations on the fly. And when you choose your one free number in the car start, you are left with three numbers adding up to some number less than 20, which Bob usually end to specify to the contestant to keep him in sync. I think games with underlying math and probability principles are neat, but the contestant should not have to feel that he has to do meaningful math on the fly to have a decent shot at winning the game. Rather, I like when mathematical intuition helps your odds, but not so much when it confuses you or scares you. I think this game was unfortunately not salvageable, and since it would have been hard to work with five digit cars, the norm not too long after the game's retirement in 1988, its days were numbered from the get-go.
2: Add two, eight to six, we get 16. We subtract 16 from 17, and what do you have? What? One! Light up that one, and she wins that pot. There it is, $8,612. Beautiful.
0: Number three. Okay, brace yourself, folks, because... This next game's dismissal may require a bit of a citation needed, because while there are a number of reasons why the game could have went away after a short time in 1978, the common bond is that viewer complaints may have been involved, or at least complaints from somebody. And
2: now, Anthony, I want you to see the new game you're going to play. Let's show him the shower game. There it is.
0: Now look at this, you're getting ahead of us Anthony, he's taking his shirt off already. The shower game was one of a number of games that debuted on the show in 1978. The object of the game was simple, a car is up for grabs and on a massive set piece meant to resemble a public shower at your local YMCA, you were to pick a price that you thought was the correct price of the car. Do it, win it, it's that simple. The shower part of the shower game, Some of the prices, when picked, would shower the contestant in confetti, signifying that the price they chose was incorrect, but they do get to pick again. Okay, sure, why not? Some of the other prices were closer to the price of the car, but if you picked one of those showers, you would be showered with $1 bills. A hundred of them, in fact. You'd basically win $100. But the game would be over. When you step
2: into the shower and pull that cord you see there, if a key drops down, you have the key to the car. You have won the car. Now
0: that could happen in one of the six showers. But it wasn't this game's simplicity or prop work that would supposedly be its downfall. It turns out there may have been a much darker factor in play. And this is where the citation needed part comes in because I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate or not. And trust me, I've searched high and low for independent verification on this, but supposedly, Emphasis, italics, and underline on the word supposedly. The reason why this game was taken off the show was because of a contingent of TV viewers and Prices Right staffers complaining to CBS that the set of the shower game was reminiscent of the showers that they had at a certain
2: camp. The
0: yes, that kind of camp. But again, nothing has really come up to either confirm nor deny that this was the reason for the game's removal now if you want a more official reason for the game's removal look no further than longtime producer of the price is right roger dobkowitz who through a series of responses on social media stated quote frank wayne executive producer of the show from 1972 to his passing in 1988 created shower game the main reason the game was retired was that it wasn't very good it seemed more like a stunt game something you would see on truth or consequences or a show like that I did not hear of anyone writing to us that it reminded them of the holocaust. The holocaust reference was mainly around the studio and said as sarcasm in regards to the outlandishness of the game." End quote. One thing can be said for certain, it was a very stupid Stupid game with seemingly no way to lose, big or small. The least you're gonna walk out of the game with is 100 dollars and confetti down your pants. But
2: if you get confetti, you go on and try another shower. Now, which one do you want to start with, Anthony? $4,888 right down here. Very well. Step into that shower, turn facing the audience, and pull that cord.
0: Anyone! Wow! That being said, Justin, what would you have done differently to the Shower Game?
1: Well, I think you've done a pretty good job of killing Shower Game. Um, To me, it's actually similar in the more interesting version of Five Price Tags, and I'd be just as happy with Shower Game in the lineup instead today. But games can't really offend large groups of people, and a game that is too cheeky seems misaligned, I think, with the image The Price is Right is trying to project. On a more serious side, you know, sarcastically comparing a pricing game, you know, the holocaust or around the studio, should that ever lead the studio, could risk a serious backlash even if there's no real validity to the comparison. So five price tags stayed and Shower Dean didn't last even one season. By the way, this theme is actually pretty interesting from a mathematical point of view. If you're making a random car guess, you have a one in six chance of winning on your first try, but half the time, you instead get showered with confetti and have a second try, where your odds of winning are now one in five, and you might get showered with confetti twice, which would happen about one fifth of the time under a random guess. And then you have a one-fourth chance of winning the car, one-quarter chance of winning the car, and you can be showered with confetti three times and so forth. And when you solve these scenarios, you kind of get to, you know, one-third chance of winning the car, assuming that each of your guesses is more or less random and, you know, slightly better than a one-third chance if you feel like you can eliminate certain choices as less likely. Um, but I digress. You know, I'm a math guy and... Uh, Yeah, I think there were some interesting um, sort of foundations to the game, but, um, you know, unfortunately, I think it has sort of got torpedoed before it had a chance of being successful. Number two.
2: Now, James, as I said, we're going to play a brand new game, and a very important part of that game is Professor Price. Here he is.
0: It almost feels like an obligation to talk about this game. But considering how much Professor Price stuck out like a sore thumb compared to the rest of the show, and I'm not even talking about the creepy puppet animatronics, when one thinks that the price is right, you think of the very words that Bob Barker said on his first show back in 1972.
2: Let me assure you fans of the old Price is Right that this is your favorite game still based on the pricing of merchandise with wonderful awards for smart
0: shoppers. You hear that, everybody? Games that reward smart shoppers. Hence the name, The Price is Right, and hence the name, Pricing Games. The name of the show is not The Question is Right, the contestants don't play quizzing games. And above all else, a player doesn't answer questions about a product that they're trying to win. Granted, that technically doesn't even happen here. But still, a general knowledge trivia game in the middle of a show that involves consumer prices SHOULD NOT BE. Now he's going to keep track of your, right, uh, your correct
2: answers on his right hand, and he's going to keep track of your wrong answers on his left hand. Now what you need are three correct answers, and you win that car. If you have three answers that are wrong before you get three correct answers, you lose the car. Now the first question that I have for you is right here. The question is, how
0: many ounces in a half pint? Never mind the fact that this is one of the only games in show history to have a perfect win record. But again, two games were played. It still didn't fit in. At all. Because you don't ask general knowledge trivia questions on a TV show whose main mechanic is being a good shopper of consumer goods. And before anybody asks, no, I would not lump 1997's Fortune Hunter game in with Professor Price. Because even though that game had an aura of confusion, at least that game dealt with the prices of things.
2: Eliminate the prize that is less than $200. Eliminate the prize with a price that has four digits. (laughs) Eliminate the prize that starts with the number
0: nine. So, million dollar question, Justin. Could Professor Price have worked if there was more of a pricing element to the game instead of general knowledge?
1: Short answer, probably no. I mean, this game was not well thought out and not aligned really with the concept of a pricing game. I mean, trivia is not pricing. It was as out of character as Jeopardy asking a question on the board about guessing the price of an item within $100. And I think it was a little bit difficult to avoid audience assistance in answering the trivia questions, at least in the clip I saw, making it, you know, an even more flawed game. This could really have been the worst conceived game the show aired, and the two times it was played was probably two times too many. Of course, hindsight is 2020 and the show was in its sixth season. The you know, price is right, I think had on the order of 30-30 pricing games and was desperate to add more. A little good old trial and error never harmed anyone. Hold it!
0: Hey, me from the future here and I want to quickly point out that we forgot a very important rule in Professor Price, mainly the fact that all the questions or the answers to the questions that were being given were indeed numerical and that there was a follow-up question as to whether or not the number in that question was a part of the price of the car. So Technically, in a matter of speaking, there was some sort of element of pricing involved, but it was still pretty much based around general knowledge. Like, you didn't have to figure out the price of a certain thing and then figure out whether the price of that certain thing was part of the digits of the car. General knowledge was still involved. We didn't want to be completely unfair to the game, but again, it's a general knowledge trivia game in the middle of a show involving prices. It deserves the scorn that it gets, and that puppet is still creepy. I don't care what anybody says. Now then, back to the show.
2: I'm gonna ask you now whether this five is one of the first two numbers in the price of the car, and Deborah, if you're right this time, that will be your third right answer, and that car sitting right over there belongs to you. Is the five one of the first two numbers in the price of the car? Yes. She says, yes it is. Is she right? (laughs) Yes, she is. Let's see the price of that car.
0: $5,150. Number one. Technically, this final entry is going to be two entries. But, in essence, these two entries are pretty much the same game. With that much of a hint in mind, I repeat that the overall mission statement of any given pricing game, or game show in general, is that it toes the line between being an easy game to play, a fun game to play, but also a bit of a challenge to win. In other words, you want to give the contestant even the slightest bit of chance that they can win. And sure, if too much winning is done on the show, there are some unwritten rules here and there that sometimes more difficult games are put into play just to keep the show from going over budget. Which may seem unfair, but on a financial standpoint, it does make all the sense in the world. That being said, this game may be the single most cruel, you hear me, cruel pricing game to ever grace Television City in Hollywood. All right, Jeannie, I'm gonna give you seven bids
2: on the price of that car. I will tell you higher or lower after each bid, so you'll be able to adjust before you make your next bid. You tell me the actual retail price of the car and you drive it home. Now, so that this will be more fun for everyone at home and in our studio audience, we are going to show the actual retail price of the car, but studio audience, please do not shout out the price or any numbers. You can make any other sounds you wish. Let's show them the
0: price, please. This game, which technically did not have a name, but based on the set piece for it, was given the nickname of Bullseye One. Not to be confused with the long-running and much better version of Bullseye that's been on the show since 1976, the object of the game is deviously simple. You're playing for a prize with a four-digit price tag, and all you have to do is guess the exact price of that prize within seven turns or less. Naturally, that's hard to do without any clues. This resulted in a rarity among all the pricing games that have ever aired on the show since 1972. A game where anybody who ever played the game never won it. I'm not kidding. In the five times this game was played, nobody won their prize. One contestant in particular was within $1 of guessing the right price when they took their final turn. They don't even offer a consolation prize for coming in that close.
1: 36.20. 36.20, oh, genie!
2: The price was 36.21. You missed it, only one dollar.
0: So naturally, with a game this difficult that nobody was winning, something had to be done to improve it. What they did do to it was probably one of the most egregious and superfluous things The Price is Right has ever done. And thank Satan, this was only done in its first season when they were still going through their growing pains. You see, for the first, last, and only time in show history, they developed a pricing game that took two players. To play for the
2: pricing game that we're going to have to play now. Or that we're going to play now, we have to have two contestants. So, Johnny, let's go back out into the audience and get another, all right? Bob, Larry Capsule, come on down. You're the next contestant on the new Price is Right.
1: A few moments later,
2: all right, the actual retail price is $500, and Larry, you're
1: Seconds later,
2: And this car will be yours, Larry, or yours, Pat, and this is what I'm going to do, Pat, I'm going to ask you to give me a bid on that car, what you believe is the retail price of that car. Then Larry, I'll say it's higher or lower, meaning that the retail price is higher or lower than Pat's bid. After you bid, I'll do the same with you,
0: Pat, back and forth until one of you gives me the exact price of the car. You heard me correctly. They did another version of the original Bullseye game that took two players to play. The rules of the game were pretty much the same, except now, instead of having seven chances to guess correctly, the gameplay continues until the correct price has been guessed, thus guaranteeing that somebody will win a prize.
1: One eternity
0: later.
2: 2250. You say 2250, and pass, it's lower.
1: 2231.
2: 2231 you won the
0: Why? Again, this was their first season on the air. And naturally, there had to be some sort of process of elimination as to what would work and what wouldn't but having a pricing game where there are two contestants playing and a guaranteed winner may be one of the stupidest ideas they had early on in its run. And I'm only so grateful that they had the common sense to shelve it before they could cause any
1: more harm to
0: themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, the original Bullseye was kind of like Clock Game with seven guesses instead of as many guesses as the contestant could get in within the time limits. Uh, Since Clock Game also debuted in 1972, it's not surprising that Clock Game survived and the original Bullseye was retired. The time (laughs) nature of the Clock Game... Um makes the game exciting, you know, versus the contestant deliberating on his or her next guess. The other tricky thing was that the original Bullseye required Bob to narrow down the price range, you know for example, for a car for the contestant to make his or her guesses, you know, versus the clock game where the prizes the contestant tried to price were sort of on the order of $1,000, give or take a few hundred dollars. Perhaps if clocking hadn't been the lineup, the show could have just given the contestant 20 seconds in the original bullseye to price a car in the same way they priced two prizes in the clock game today. As for the two-player game, this was an interesting tangent. It looks full in hindsight but makes more sense if you put yourself in the shoes of the producers in season one of the show, you're keen to build on the small roster of pricing games and perhaps you haven't ruled out head-to-head contests to add an extra dimension to certain pricing games on the show, so Double Bullseye is actually full of game theory. Any closer bid effectively sets up your opponent to have a better crack at guessing the winning price. Interestingly, both players could have just kept repeating their bids that were far apart so as to not set up their opponent to guess the winning price, and the game could have gone in a circular loop forever. And now that you've schooled
0: us on how to improve pricing games that should have been left at the basement of Television City. I'm gonna let you have the last word. Either among these games, or even a game that we haven't discussed today, is there any one retired pricing game that you'd like to see come back on the show?
1: Yeah, as for a revived pricing game, I think a revamped version of Mystery Price along the lines that I suggested would be a fascinating addition to the show. There is really no pricing game that is as similar to contestants' row bidding as Mystery Price was. It is essentially a one-player's contestant row bidding exercise times four where you accumulate dollars to buy the small prize and then by extension win the big prize. Why not bring back a simplified version today under a different name? In any event, it has been a lot of fun to step into the role of pricing game critic. I have tons of respect for the creators of the show's pricing games. It's a lot easier to identify winning strategies and to evaluate poor performance as I do in solving the prices right than it is to create a new pricing game. But, you know, like all of you out there, I love the show. There's so many different angles and so many different things in The Price is Right for so many different people, including math folks like myself and hopefully some readers out there. Last but not least, sending my props out to Bob Barker up in heaven. May he rest in peace. Without him, there would be no book and no podcast like today's where we pretend to be know-it-alls. So, Bob, I hope you're doing well wherever you are up there. Wait, what's happening?
0: I didn't bid on anything, did I? No, no, no. That just means time is up.
1: And we thank you for being on our show today. Uh, thanks, I think. Which reminds me, how how do I get out of here? Well, it's customary
0: for me to escort my guests out of here in a way that's got a tinge of irony based on who they are, what they do, and so forth. And since you used math to decipher pricing games, I've got just the exit strategy for you. You see that guy over there in the leader hosen? You don't mean, don't worry. This is one cliff you're not going to be hanging from. This guy can go beyond 25 spaces. All you got to do is one last thing for me bid on this new food processor. The Presto electric salad shooter also slices or shreds vegetables, fruits, cheeses, and other foods for salads, pizzas, tacos, desserts, and more. From Presto. And if I were you, I'd bid big enough so that the yodely guy can make it to the surface. So, like what? Bid a billion dollars or so? He says a billion dollars for the salad shooter. Is he right? Uh no, you better hitch a ride, Justin. only Guy's about to take off.
1: Does he move any faster than this? I'll never get out of here at this speed. Reach into his knapsack. He's got boxes of no dos Viverin,
0: Jolt Cola, Prime Energy drink, Four Loco, and Black Market methamphetamines just in case he ever wanted to scale Mount Everest in less than eight minutes. Mix them all up in a cocktail, serve it to him, and hold on to your Yale math degree for dear life. Salad Shooter was $59.99. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this show. This is the narrator reminding you to help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Good night, everybody. Next time on Telehell. It feels like a while since we took a look at an unsold TV pilot. Even more so, it feels like a while since we took a look at a TV show that was just dumb. He's got a square jaw, steely blue eyes. Broad shoulders and less body fat than a king cobra. <laughs> Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. Our thanks, once again, to Justin Bergner for being our guest today. Justin's book, Solving the Price is Right, How Mathematics Can Improve Your Decisions, on and off the set of America's Celebrated Game Show, is available wherever books are sold in hardcover and digital formats. And yes, since this show is dropping on Thanksgiving Day, it gives us one more chance to remind everybody that it makes a great stocking stuffer, both at Black Friday and Cyber Monday prices. Also, because this show dropped on Thanksgiving, our next show will be on December 3rd. Justin also gets a writing credit for this episode because there was a lot of things that he had to say about these games and we'll be sure to put that episode up on our Patreon very soon. For now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976. And all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. You know that thing that people do in order to communicate with each other without actually having to look each other face to face? You know, social media... Well, we do that. Look for us on X, Facebook, and now Blue Sky, all three of them at TeleHell Podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and pretty much tell us what you think of our show everywhere that you can stream us. And also in our complaint line, telehelpodcast at gmail.com.